Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie. Welcome back for our weekly podcast. I think I missed you, but I don't know because you might not have heard last week, but we did. We had a great podcast last week. We tried a different format where my producer came with several different issues that were current in the news that we felt were really something that needed to be discussed and put out there in ways to provoke thought and to maybe change the way things are done or the way things are looked at so that there's better outcomes for all of us, children, families, communities. And that's the point of all of our podcasts so that we better ourselves, we better our parenting skills and our ability to be human beings. And at the end of the day, making sure that our children are safe and that they grow up happy because that's what makes the world a better place. Last week, we did talk about Jerry Sandusky and the sentencing. What does that really look like? What is really a perpetrator versus a victim? What is treatment? We also talked about the inhumane treatment of an autistic child at a Chinese rehab center, which was pretty disturbing. We talked about a girl who was really good and strong in her response back to bullying and how she turned that into a huge positive, both for herself, long-term and short-term, and for anyone that was really connected with her life. So it was a really great format and really good topics that we talked about. So take a listen, because as you know, all of my podcasts can be found on my website, or on iTunes, and soon on my new phone app. So beware, it's coming out. This week, we're going to talk about a really interesting topic that many people, I don't think, understand. It really does drive your life, and it is a very important component of your life. But I don't think we all understand the real meanings of why it's important or why we need to have it, because on many levels, there are people that seek out my help because they don't have this component in their life and don't even realize they don't have it or that they need it. So this week we're going to be talking about friendship. Do we really need a friendship to survive? I mean, really, is it that important? If it is, I want to know why, and I want you to understand why. I want to hear why you might think it is or why you might think it's not. What is the impact of technology? I mean, you got your phone on your hand all the time or in your pocket, in your purse. Do you really need to have a human being to have a friendship now? Because that's another big issue. I mean, many of our friends, even ourselves, do we need to have human friendships if we have these social networks? I want to know the answers to some of these things. I want to know what experts think about this. And most importantly, I want to know what you think and what you feel about this. Also, as far as friendships go, with the rising divorce rate, is it truly a platonic thing to be healthy with your partner? Or is it really not something that we need to be doing? Because there's a difference between a friendship a unresolved marital relationship that people try to pretend they're friends in on behalf of their children, and is that good? I mean, those are the kinds of things that I want to learn and look at today. And is it really a bad thing if a long-term friendship, and I'm sure many of us have been there, starts to disintegrate and crumble? So you got a long-term friend that all of a sudden you don't like anymore, or they irritate you. Does that mean the friendship should end? And if it does, is that a bad thing? Stay tuned. one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven. I want to know what you think. I want to know what you feel about friendships. Joining me today on the discussion and topic of friendships is Andrea Bonnier. She's a licensed clinical psychologist, well-credentialed, media commentator, professor at Georgetown. That's pretty impressive. Has a massive private practice. She's been seen all over the place. She does the writing for the weekly mental health advice column called Baggage Check for the Washington Post Express newspaper. 
frequently cited all over the place. Her expertise has most recently been seen in The New York Times, on NPR, CNN, MSNBC, Yahoo, Cosmo, 17, you name it. Everywhere she can be, she is, and that's great. She's an expert blogger for Psychology Today, Huffington Post, and is a regular appearing guest on Washington, D.C.'s Let's Talk Live. Dr. Bonior, are you with me? I sure am, and happy to be. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you. You're really credentialed. <laughs> well, Good thank for you. you. So are you. So tell me, we're going to talk about friendships, and many people want to know, like, are they that vital to us? They're so vital to us. Why? You know, I think life is about other people in terms of ups and downs. And I think a lot of times we feel like other people means romantic relationships or family only. And the truth is, our friends oftentimes are the ones that are making or breaking our daily mental health because we, you know, they can cause so much drama when it's bad and they can also provide so much good stuff too. And is that good for us, the good and the bad? Yeah, definitely. I think the ups and the downs, as long as they are part of healthy relationships, can be really good for us physically and mentally. I think people are surprised by how much they really can matter. So just to step back for one second, in the true definition in your eyes, what is the true definition of a friendship? The true definition of a friendship, as I see it, is a relationship that stands the test of time, that stands the test of different contexts. In other words, it's not just somebody that, you know, you go to the gym with, although that can have that place in your life and be important, but it's somebody that there's a reciprocity of sharing, there's trust, there's the ability to say, this person likes who I am and they're going to stay with me, even if, you know, we go through a period of maybe not talking as frequently because we're stressed at work. It's consistency, it's loyalty, it's affection and respect. Okay. And so you say then from your work, because you're the friendship expert, is there research and do people actually study friendships, meanings of them, the origins of them and how to have them and all that stuff? Definitely. There's a whole lot of research dating back quite some time. But the interesting thing is so much is changing so quickly right now with social networking and the way that we relate to each other that that type of research has yet to show some stuff because we're really just beginning to study how has Facebook changed our friendships, for instance? How does texting perhaps get in the way of actually spending time together as friends if we're constantly staring at our phones? But there is a lot of older research that speaks to the heart of friendship as well. Okay. So would you say then there are key elements that a healthy friendship needs to have? Absolutely. I think one of the best elements is this notion of trust. So not constantly having to wonder or worry, does this person have my best interest at heart? Are they going to betray me? Are they secretly making fun of me behind my back? So the trust. Also, the reciprocity, as I alluded to before, this notion that I'm giving, you know, basically what I feel like I'm getting. And over time, there might be some times when you're giving a a ton and the person can't give back. But if you stretch it out, you know, over the long run, you feel like there's a sense of balance. And it really helps to like the person, quite frankly, to really feel like they're interesting, that they have something to offer you, that they can expose you to new experiences. And challenge you and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's how they help you grow. What would you say is the most 
important key that you would give someone's ad- advice on to maintain a relationship? I would say put some energy and some effort into it. I think a lot of times for women in particular, it's tough to really let yourself prioritize the friendship. You might say, eh, work comes first, family comes second, you know, I've got a million other things to do, I can't make that brunch, I can't join that book club, whatever it is. And the truth is, you know, it takes energy. You have to actually put forth some time and some effort But the payoff, as we mentioned, is really, really big. And give yourself permission to put forth the energy and to prioritize it because it really is good for you. Okay. So you think people with friendships are happier? Yeah. I think the research really shows that people who are satisfied by their friendships and they feel like they are supported in those friendships, they do have a better outlook, and, and it does help protect them against, you know, things like depression or severe anxiety. It might even help with longevity. It, it can really help with physical health, too, which I think is a big surprise for people. Okay. So in, before we take a caller, because you don't mind taking one, do you, with me? I'd love to. I want to know just your viewpoint on social media technology, its impact on friendships. Yeah, you know, there's so many effects of it, and I think a lot of them are fabulous. You know, now, in many ways, it is much easier to stay in touch with somebody that otherwise you might have lost touch with if they moved away or they left your job or whatever it was. But with the good comes some bad. I think we're seeing a lot of times people kind of splintering off, you know, it's sort of the quantity versus quality question. People that are (laughs) in possession of, you know, 400 friends on Facebook, but they still feel lonely because gradually... Why? See, that's an important point. You're right. Yeah, they're losing that connection. You know, it's funny. I've worked with women who are sort of like, eh, I'm so busy. I don't really have the time to go out to dinner with my friends anymore or... I can't, you know, make this birthday party for my closest friend from high school. And then when you really get down to it, they're spending their evenings staring at their laptop screen, typing LOL on some random person. Right, right. (laughs) You know, and it's like, okay, you do have the time, but we've become splintered off. We've become distracted. And we're so sort of focused in that feedback loop of having to respond on Facebook and texts and all of that that we forget that sometimes just 45 minutes of having a cup of coffee in front of someone with that person laughing together, making eye contact, that that can actually be the most sustaining thing of all. So you're saying the benefit of a true friendship is that human connection, face-to-face, human-to-human, not contacting through computers. Yes, I really believe so. And, And certainly, you know, the computers, they can help keep a friendship going. But I don't really think that they can long-term take the place of the close friendships. And I think we're starting to see that in the research. People are starting to feel kind of lonely. And that some of these relationships online are are kind of hollow. I'm so glad to hear that because, I mean, that just gives more value to the, the human contact. Because at the end of the day, that's really what life is about. It is. It really is. And I think people are in for some real sadness and emptiness if they lose that. Because I think people who don't want to have friendships or are afraid to have friendships, can't, whatever, love this social media place because that's an easier way for them to overcome either their social anxiety or whatever the barrier is. But it's Mm -hmm. not really the end of the day getting the real issue addressed. Right, right. And it's definitely better than nothing. I mean, I've worked with people who, you know, 
online, they've actually been able to branch out a little bit. They feel more comfortable at first kind of joining message boards. And maybe if you have, you know, a particular ailment, for instance, you can find a community of people who really understand or a grieving or, you know, support group type of thing if you've suffered a loss. And and I don't want to undermine that advantage. But I think by the same time, to the extent that it stunts you from going further and you're content only with online contact, usually you're missing out on something. Absolutely. All right, let's take a caller. Uh, Delilah, are you on the line? Yes, hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. So my question is I'm kind of comparing how my friendships have been established and on solid ground compared to what I'm seeing with my kids. And Mm -hmm. so I've always been a a quality, not quantity seeker of friends. And so I I compare how my friends and I have been friends. I have three really good friends and we've been friends for 20 plus years. And Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, late night phone calls, you know, really solid foundation. Like we know everything that there is to know about each other, always be there for each other. And I think that that's important as someone who's overcome a lot in her life, having those people that I can count on. Now I look at my kids and I'm thinking, am I just like old school or what? Because it's a totally different thing that they, they have friends over and they go straight to their room, pop the TV on, get in their beds. And both of their, both girls are in bed with their phone in their face, texting other people. They're not even conversing. And my son has friends over and they both pop headsets on and they're talking to other people while they're playing Xbox. And I'm like, there's no communication going on. They have people over and they're talking to people through social media or text or I'm like, are they going to have like true friendships? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great question. And what I'd be interested to hear is what is their perspective on it? I mean, why, why is it those particular people that they're hanging out with, you know, who sort of makes the cut to hang out with in person, given that there are all kinds of other people right. that are sort of also competing for their time. I mean, sometimes, and, and part of it depends on how old they are, you know, I mean, your friendships probably have, have grown and been nourished over time to the point where they are very seasoned now. And, and maybe when you were your children's age, your friendships were a little bit more superficial, you know, it's hard to say. But I think, you know, to the extent that you have those concerns, I think those those concerns are real, and we don't yet know, you know, 20 years down the road, are the teenagers now going to have had more splintered friendships, and are those effects going to be lasting? So I think what you can do as a parent is to really, if you're concerned about this, talk to your kids and try to get their perspective and say, you know, I notice it's interesting, you know, when you and Emily hang out, you don't really seem to actually converse with each other that much. I remember when I used to hang out with my friends, it seemed like we would do nothing but just talk to each other. And, you know, how well do you feel like you know her? Do you feel like she's a good friend to you? Do you feel like you get what you need out of that relationship? And try to hear, because it could be that part of this is just they have a different mode of communicating, and it looks like they're doing a million things at once and not really attending to each other, but maybe they actually are attending more than you think. And that would be the helpful, the hopeful perspective. Yeah, I mean, because I don't, I guess the question is also, are we making and allowing our children to become lazy mm-hmm. with their communication skills? Because it's easier to type and click a button than actually have to do the emotional emoting with another person and motivate yourself to respond. 
Because mm-hmm. you could walk away from a response, a text or whatever, and get back to it in an hour. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're sitting with your friends like Delilah's saying, that you have a better interaction because you have to be held accountable to interact in the moment. So it's a double-edged sword, and I think we need to take a look at it. I did an interesting thing a couple of weeks ago at a school where I was having a patient who was having a difficult time with their computer and the timing and all that. And we took computers away from several of the kids that were in that circle. And before you knew it, the next day they were all out playing kickball and interacting when wow. typically they would have been sitting on their computers, not interacting with each other face-to-face, but maybe, you know, computer to computer, but no humanness. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, it's a balance and we have to take a look at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I'm just concerned that they're not going to have these long lasting friendships and that it's the, it's the technology that is keeping them from building that strong foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, it's possible. Yeah, it's definitely an obstacle. And I think, you know, you can sort of model some of those skills to your children, though it sounds like you've been able to nourish these friendships, to keep up these amazingly, wonderfully supportive friendships. And I think that's a great thing for you to talk about and to model and to to talk about the struggles that you have had. You know, certainly I'm imagining over 25 years it hasn't all been roses with these women that you're friends with. But talk about the meaning that those friendships have in your life and just how much you've put into it and how much you've gotten over the years. Yeah, I mean, it's made it's the fabric of your life. Mm-hmm. It's a story. Right. I mean, yeah, you can take the story off of your texting or the story off your Facebook, but the story that you'll take with you is really deep within inside of you. And that's the value of a human to human contact friendship, the value that comes out from interacting and having empathy and exercising empathy and em- exercising sympathy and self-control and respect, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily yeah. get triggered and exercised as often on a computer. Exactly. Delilah, thank you. Great stimulating question. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, one other thing, Dr. Bunyer, I want to ask you before we take some uh, voicemail or two. Do you think that then parents should be concerned or do you think that they, you know, the typical monitoring that they're doing, checking URL addresses, the content of texting, the amount of texting will help them get an idea of the types and quality and quantity of a friendship their kids are having? Because I don't think many parents, when they're checking these things, are looking for that. I think they're looking for uh, an inappropriate site or inappropriate words or inappropriate people they're connecting with. But I don't know if they're really looking at, is this a value? Is this taking away value from their human-to-human friendship contact? And I think that's something we should bring to the forefront for them to take a look at. Yeah, you're right. I think, you know, parents are really tuned in to sort of the headline news type of concern. Are there predators? You know, these kind of things. But also, parents themselves might have gotten in some ruts with their friendships, and they might do nothing but, you know, email their friends or text their friends. Sometimes you see that, too, and it's almost like it doesn't even dawn on them, um, you know, that these relationships might have deficits. So, yeah, I mean, I would love for parents to to give more attention to that. But I think it's tricky, as you well know. I think sometimes parents who overly sort of intrude or hover might be doing it in, in detrimental ways. I mean, I would definitely urge parents to really just converse about this type of stuff, you know. Who, who is in your life that you feel like you can support, uh, be supported by and right. ask your kids these questions? You know, so who, who do you feel like is a really good friend to you, and what does that mean? And, and what do you do to keep that exactly. up and, and just start that conversation? Right, to see the strengths of a human-to-human friendship. Mm-hmm. 
All right, let's take some uh, voicemails. Hi, Dr. Sophie. My name's Brian, and I'm calling with regard to a relationship with one of my friends from growing up. We were really close, went to middle school together, high school together, and we were best friends. Uh, then we went off to college and kind of lost touch a little bit. He went to a small local school. I don't think he had a great experience, didn't make that many friends. And then when he graduated, he wound up staying in the area. And again, he just kind of didn't reach out to other people and didn't really expand his social circle. Uh, I went to a different school. I made unbelievable friends in college. Then after school, I moved off, and I wound up living across the country for four or five years. Uh, you know, and, and just fostering these new friendships I had made, and I got so close to these other guys. And I recently moved back to the area, and my friend from high school has been reaching out to me. And I've gone in and hung out with him a few times, and I feel like we've just kind of lost it. Um, I don't know. I had this snap realization one night that I just kind of don't like this kid anymore. Mm. And then he just asked me to be his best man. So I have no idea what to do. I feel like it's a completely one-way friendship at this point. I don't know how it happened, but any advice you might be able to offer would be helpful. So I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thank you. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, that's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. I mean, I think at some point it does come down to the cost-benefit analysis. Right, right. At some point it's like, okay, what would this role entail? Am I putting on a complete charade, you know, I can't even stand to be near this person, versus, eh, are we not the best of friends anymore? Does he kind of like me more than I like him? And that's a little awkward, but it's still livable. I mean, the fact is I think sometimes when you have a history with a person, that still matters. There are some friendships that even if you drift apart a little bit or you don't really think you would choose them as a friend if you were to meet them now, they still played an important part of of your life. And I think sometimes weddings are the time those friendships come back to the forefront. And so I would urge him to still consider it, you know, depending on the size of the affair, the, the level of responsibilities, how he feels about the family members involved, all those type of things. He doesn't have to be an inauthentic person. But sometimes, you know, if you do sort of grin and bear it, you might be surprised that it turns out to be a meaningful thing. Yeah, I I tend to agree because I think that maybe this is a really great place for this friendship to take a turn and grow. Mm -hmm. And maybe the caller needs to take a look at why he felt or feels disconnected, what he doesn't kind of like about the guy, and really share that. I mean, that's what a friendship is about, being able to go back and forth. And part of the maintenance of a friendship is what you owe your friend back of Mm -hmm. clarity and your thoughts and feelings, especially if it's based on trust and honesty. So it could be a huge growth period for them if he takes that as the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. I would definitely think through it. It's funny. I think this happens with Facebook a lot. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to be back in touch with somebody that I just completely adored right. for 10 years. And they're different. <laughs> They've changed. And so have you. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's do one more voicemail. Hey, Dr. Sophie, this is Matt. I have a, a question and a comment about friendships. Um, my, my question is related to very old friendships. I find that as an adult, I'm now in my 50s, that I've made new friends along the way and basically... Um, have no contact with the older ones, and I find myself occasionally thinking about the older friendships, not quite as far back as high school, but college friendships and early career friendships. I'm curious about 
um, your thinking on whether those relationships are worth resurrecting, if there's value to come from that, or if there's just too much risk because things may have changed over the decades and what we used to have in common we don't anymore. Um, part of me says it would be nice to have a link to my past and those people, and the other part of me says just you know, let it stay in the rearview mirror. It was a long time ago. So again, I look forward to your thoughts. Thank you. Interesting. What do you think? You know, it is a risk, but I think a lot of times it's a positive risk to take. It's a risk that's that's worth it. I think the one caution I have for people is to set your expectations realistically. I think the people who are bound to be the most hurt in this situation are the ones who really think that, oh, my God, this friendship is going to pick up right where it took off. This right. is going to be my new best friend. And it doesn't sound like he has that expectation. So I think it's probably very safe for him to do this, and it could lead to something interesting. But if it doesn't, um, as long as he treats those people with respect and doesn't sort of completely drop the ball on them if they're gung-ho to start start up a friendship again, I think as long as he does treat them with respect, he can have a lot to gain and very little to lose. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just would caution anybody that's going to jump back into that to try to think through how it ended, why it ended. Maybe that person was doing things or engaging in something or going down a path you didn't agree with. And so you're going to run the risk, if there is any risk, that maybe they're still that way or maybe they're still into that or maybe they're still married to that guy that you never could get along with. So <laughs> look true. at those things, do that checklist before you start opening up that connection again, because it may not be something you want to then maintain. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, otherwise, you know, check out the risk and jump in. They're part of your history. Mm-hmm. It's who defines you. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason why they're not computer friends or social technology friends, that they're human friends. And that's honestly the reason they're pulling you back because of the depth of those meanings and, and, of that kind of a relationship versus one over Facebook. So I think it speaks for itself. Dr. Bonjour, thank you. So tell me about your book, The Friendship Fix, and where we can find it. Yeah, The Friendship Fix, it is available in a lot of bookstores still. It came out last year. It's also certainly available online, however you like to buy your books online. Um, You know, it really stemmed out of me noticing that when you talk about self-help, self-development type of books, at least for, for women and, and in terms of relationships, so much of it is how to find a man, how to keep a man, right. how to break up with a man. You know? and, <laughs> and that just did not correlate to what I was seeing in my practice and even personally. You know, of course, romantic relationships, whether they be gay or straight, those uh, carry a ton of meaning in our lives, but also so do friendships. And I just found that there was not nearly as much um, in terms of books that talked about that. And so people just kind of fall into friendships often, sort of by default, almost by accident. We don't tend to use the same type of energy of choosing friendships that are good for us and choosing people that are good for us. You know, we just kind of, oh, I worked with this person. Eh, I, you know, right, I, right. And and that can really cause us harm if we're choosing the wrong people. So I started with that mindset, you know, how can we pay the right amount of attention to friendships, given that they matter so much? How can we make sure that we're choosing the right people and that we're developing relationships that can really help us rather than cause us drama and stress? Very good. And that's all in the Friendship Fix. That's right. It's and, all in there. And we can find you on Twitter. That's right. I'm on Twitter, Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and my website is 
thefriendshipfix.com and also drandreabonier.com. So, yeah, I do a whole lot of um, type of therapy and relationship issues and a whole lot of writing, so I'd urge everybody to check it out. We will be checking it out, and we'll be tweeting you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for all of your insight and expertise. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. So that was Dr. Andrea Bunyor. She's a friendship expert. You can find her at thefriendshipfix.com or at Dr. Andrea Bunyor on Twitter. She's well-versed and well-studied on friendships, gave us a lot of really good insights into friendships, social media impacts, human-to-human, maintenance, all that kind of stuff. So it was really very interesting. And, and overall, yes, friendships are great. Yes, they have meaning. But I don't think people understand what does it take What are we going to do? And are they important? And so after all of this, I want you to listen to this and just honestly think about a couple things. Number one, remember that a friendship is a two-way street. It's got to be a give and it's got to be a take. Also, there are elements that go into a friendship that are going to maintain it, just like you have to water a plant and you have to nourish your child and feed your child and all of that. You've got to nourish a friendship and that takes certain elements of like basics, trust, honesty. You have to like that person. And you have to be able to do that back and forth reciprocity. I can do for that person and not expect them to have to do back for me today. And it doesn't have to be one equals one. And I gave, they get, it's got to be a safety place emotionally where you can have reciprocity of back and forth, giving, taking, but you have the elements of trust, honesty, and liking that person. And then maintaining it. So after you have it, you got to then nourish it and maintain it. And maintaining it means making sure that you give it the integrity that it needs. So you resolve issues. If you're mad at Mary, you fix it. You talk to her, you resolve it, and you put it away and understand it on both sides. Because if you don't give it that deference and that respect, it's not going to maintain itself. And also remember that these relationships, friendships are human So that means you're going to feel empathy, sympathy, happy, sad, angry, frustrated, and it's all part of having a human relationship. So those are the key things that I need you to think about and take away today when you're thinking about and understanding a friendship. I want to thank you for listening, always listening, being there today. My callers, voicemails, emails, very meaningful. They provoke a lot of thought and they help us, our experts, get more information out to you. Here all the time at one 767 4966 Podcasts always available on my website, on iTunes, and my soon-to-be-released phone app. www.drsophie.com is the website. Again, www.drsophie.com. Phone app's coming out soon. Keep your eye out. I'll let you know when it's there. one 767 4966 Title of my book, Side by Side conflict-free mother-daughter resolution book gotta have that it's unbelievably helpful i'm always there if you have questions websites at the back of that book as well please follow me on twitter and facebook for any updates any input you have visit itunes to download the full version of andy grammar's keep your head up and of all things don't forget to sweep but you gotta keep your head up oh, and you can let your head down and